All right. Our scripture this morning is from the book of John, chapter 17. If you would like a physical Bible, the ushers are actually in the aisles. They have Bibles, so you can raise your hand and they'll come to you if you would like one. John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 24. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Hey, I too am really excited to be celebrating baptisms today. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, In light of that, I'm going to try to make today's message a little shorter. I'm sorry. No, everybody's excited about that. Um, But actually, yeah, today we're concluding uh, this Explore God series that we've been going through now. This is our eighth week, final week. And what I thought we could do is flip the script a little bit. So for these last seven weeks, we've been asking questions we have of God, for God, that we would like to know, that we'd like to consider, we'd like to dig into. But today, what I thought we could do is actually think about what God wants, what God would ask, what God's heart and desire would be for us. And so to do that, I was was thinking we could look at this text that was just read, John chapter 17, Uh, A text that, for me, has embodied more than any other text in all the scripture what this Explore God series has meant to be about. It really has all the elements. We'll talk about some of these as we go through, but this has been a a, a series that's that's been uh, run by over 200 churches in the Bay Area. This has been a, a series meant to help those in the community who, and maybe this is you, Uh, who don't know Jesus but are checking him out and trying to figure out and ask questions to be a safe place for that. And and it helps go, okay, well, what's the point of all this? How does this all come together? So today we're going to look and ask what God would have of us and what what he desires from us. And I'm going to try to keep moving, okay, so we can get to baptism. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to celebrate these baptisms. Uh, as I prayed uh, just a few moments uh, ago with, with those being bap- getting ready to be baptized, we pray that this would be a special uh, time for them. We pray that this would be a special time for the church. We pray, most of all, this would be uh, a time that brings a smile to your face. This is all because of you. This is for you. We, we, only, be baptized, we only get baptized just to put a, a sign and seal on what you have done for us in your, your death on the cross and your resurrection from the, day, the dead, that we might have life in you as well. And so we celebrate that today. We celebrate that as a, as a church family. And we give you all the praise. Go before us in all this. And, and Father, please, as ever, give us your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the text in front of us, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24, is really a sacred text, which is kind of a funny thing to think about because, I mean, it's all of God's word, so what what would make any part of God's word more sacred? Hear me out. I think this is a very sacred text for at least a few reasons. Number one, these are Jesus' last words. 
okay? So anytime anybody is, you know, facing death, they, they know it and they kind of have some last words, you're, you're leaning in. This is Jesus right before he would be arrested, the very next chapter, be arrested and taken to the cross where he'd be crucified. And he, he knew that. He had been predicting that. So these are Jesus' last words. Okay, that makes it pretty special. But on the other hand, this is also one of the, excuse me, this is the only long and continuous prayer of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. All over the gospel accounts, the biographical accounts of Jesus, we're told Jesus went off to pray. Often, but very few, do we, very few times do we have any of those prayers recorded, let alone those, recorded, those prayers recorded in, 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 in depth, in length. And, and this one here in John 17 is by far the longest, most continuous prayer all recorded for us. Okay. But this is also sacred text because it's Jesus himself praying. The Bible is filled with wonderful men and women of God praying. Moses, Miriam, David, Mary, you name it. We have their wonderful prayers recorded in the scriptures. But this is Jesus praying. Jesus, the Son of God, putting petition before, before his heavenly Father. And then last but not least, this is sacred text because Jesus is praying for us. Like he's explicitly praying for us. He starts this prayer by, by praying that God would meet, meet him and go before him as he, as he gets ready to go to the cross. Then he prays for his disciples immediately in front of him in, in flesh and blood. And then in our text, he says, now through them, through these disciples immediately in front of me, I pray also for all those who would put their faith in me. Meaning he was praying for all Christians down the ages, which if, if you've put your faith in him, that's, that includes you, that includes me. And here's how one Bible scholar put this. And I'm sorry, this won't be on the screen. It, he said, genuine prayer often reveals a person's innermost being. John 17, therefore, is a unique opportunity to see the nature and heart of Jesus. So in this series, we've been asking questions about God, to God. What might he ask of us? What might his heart, his desire be for us? We're going to look at at least three things here from John 17. Number one, we see Jesus desires unity among his followers. Verse 20 says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. And then if you look down at verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. It's worth letting it sink in for a moment that of all the things Jesus could have been praying in this most precious of all times, he was praying for unity among his followers. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible when you start to think about it. Like, that's how much he cared about unity. I grew up in a family of six kids. I'm number four. And uh, this dynamic I'm getting ready to describe also happens in my smaller family of just two kids. It's this dynamic as a parent of when you're, like, walking around the house and the kids are interacting or playing together or doing whatever. It's, like, par for the course to just come into the room and be like, guys, seriously, can you just get along already? You know what I mean? Like, like, can you just please just be kind and, and, you know, patient with each other? Is that just too much to ask? Like, and it's the very rare occurrence when you're walking through the house and you're like, what's that? Do you hear that? I don't hear anything. Like, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Do you hear nothing? Like, I know they're in the other room. That's where we left them. They're interacting in there, but I can somehow hear the birds chirping. Like there's, I know there's like clouds parted outside. There has to be a rainbow, right? And you walk in, you're like, oh my goodness, they're actually getting along. It's a miracle. I wonder if that's how God looks at us when he thinks about us living in unity. 
I mean, humbly speaking, as a pastor and a pastor's kid, it seems to me that it's not so surprising when we're not getting along. In other words, when there's disunity, the miracle is when we're actually getting along, living out with kindness, love. Here's how 17th century preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, we Christians, this will be on the screen, are to be faithful to truth, yes, but we are not to be contentious in spirit, separating ourselves from those who are living members of the one and indivisible body of Christ. To promote the unity of the church by creating new divisions is not wise. Therefore, he says, cultivate at once the love of the truth and the love of the brethren. It is all too easy for us to not live in unity. There's a reason why Jesus prayed for this in the most precious of all moments. It's, unity is so fragile. And what I love about this quote that was just put up in front of us is we can tend to go after things in one of two ways. Sometimes disunity comes because we just get ourselves so worked up about something we feel is so righteous, but we come across self-righteously. We love the truth, but we don't really love the brethren and how we approach it. You know what I'm saying? Or other times, we get ourselves so figured out that we got it all, we're working for the love and care for others, but we're actually not doing that all that well. There's no truth behind it, and maybe we, ha- we don't really want to have a conversation with somebody about that to help them along. There's, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's very nuanced, which is why I humbly believe Christ prayed for it. We need, we need to look to live, for, to live in, in unity and not take it for granted when, when it's there. Uh, you know, I just want to take a moment to call out and thank our current group leaders. In fact, can we give the current group leaders just a real round of applause? So grateful for each and every one of you. I mean, this last season, we set out to lead small groups, Bible studies, in an unknown curriculum. This Explore God curriculum was given to us from this organization that's been doing this and working on all of this for us. And it was a little bit of a tricky thing to do. And I even said early on in the current group huddle, hey guys, you know, by definition of this thing being made, this curriculum being made for about 200 churches in the Bay Area, it's not going to be a perfect fit for us, you know, so let's just do the best we can. And we tried to augment with our own questions and all that sort of thing. But I am just so grateful for you guys, because when you step into leadership, when you step in to try to help things, even under like normal circumstances, when we have a better idea of what we're doing, you step into a place where... We need to be honoring you, loving you, saying thank you. You, When you step into leadership anywhere, let alone in the church, you step into a place where people might not see it the way, you know know what I mean? Maybe people don't remember to like thank you or or encourage you, but we just want to say here and now, we're so grateful for you. It's such a gift, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it wasn't too long ago that we were coming out of the pandemic, and I was talking to a lot of pastor friends who were saying small groups were really hit because people were just tired and didn't want to meet in groups and and in particular it was hard to recruit and find leaders to fill that gap and so many of you kind of stepped into that gap and we're so grateful for it because we wouldn't be a church seeing the impact we're seeing if not for you caring and loving for people we just want to say thank you thank you for your gift in that Um, but to the point unity is so important It's something we can't take for granted. It's something we've got to foster. We've got to look to foster it, encourage it. Um, And I want to put uh, um, a slide on the screen for you in terms of forms disunity can take. And as I put this on on the board and and kind of read through it real quickly here, I want to see if perhaps the Lord might use this to spark in you ways that you personally might 
move towards living in unity. Because the fact of the matter is, all of us need Jesus. Churches need Jesus. We're going we're gonna to have trouble with unity by design. We're flawed people. We need Jesus and what he did for us. So what are ways that, that you might tend toward a contentious spirit? Okay, uh, I see myself in a few of these. So number one, I wrote up there gossip. That's right. That's not having direct conversations, right? Just talking about others on the side. Uh, it's insensitivity. It's negative criticism. You know, only tearing down instead of building up. I like the phrase constructive criticism that I feel like our culture has found over the last however many years. Uh, constructive criticism is like we all understand in the corporate world especially that we need feedback. That's good. And remember we said it's truth and love, right? We need feedback, but if that feedback is only in the form of tearing the other down, that's not what we're talking about. And also be real careful when we label it constructive or label it constructive in our own hearts, but it actually is more of the negative variety. Jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, that's a big one. We're all going to mess up. A root of bitterness, failure to appreciate others. I like this one because it's just like so often we can focus on what's wrong instead of encouraging and focusing on what's right. And you guys, have, you guys know the data. It's like for every one criticism we hear, we need to hear like how many? Seven encouragements in, for, in order to kind of balance itself out. Uh, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness. These three kind of go together in, in, in a in a thematic way, in the sense of using what we have for our own gain or our own favor and not considering others or the group at whole. It's like you can already see in all these ways, this is, unity is so nuanced. There's a reason why Jesus prayed for it. And we all bring our lack of being Jesus to the equation in our own different ways. And so I think to me, humbly speaking, we've got to move on. The antidote to this is having a soft heart. It's going, Lord, how might, I might not, how might I be missing this? How can I look to serve the other? That might be having a conversation with them that might not be the easiest for the sake of loving them. i got to think through how to do that. It might be loving them and sending them encouragement in a way where I just was upset with them for this reason or that. Is this making sense? Jesus prays for unity. It's not something we can take for granted. Number two, Jesus desires that the world would believe in him. Verse 20, I pray also... For those who, believe, who, who will believe in me through their message, okay, for, for future Christians, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again in verse 23, may, may they be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus is saying, the point of unity is not for the sake of unity, The point of unity is for the sake of helping others who don't yet know Jesus know God's love for them in Jesus. Unity ought to be stewarded. It's something we got to cultivate, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of helping others taste and see God's love in their lives. Um, Early on in the church planning uh, process, uh, early on uh, when we were a young church, we used to say a little bit tongue-in-cheek, Like, we're not trying to start a church in order to, quote-unquote, play church, okay? And what we meant by that was just this idea of we're uninterested in just building community for the sake of, like, hanging out with each other. As fun as that is, of you guys. The whole point of this is to build community, one, to love the Lord, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love one another, because those are the two greatest commandments. Yeah, we are called to love one another in community, but also to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus actually said it this way. 
earlier on in the same conversation he was having leading into our text today, he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In other words, we're trying our best to steward community for the sake of helping others taste and see God's goodness and, and make, up for them, make their minds up for themselves if they'll receive him. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking about this this week by way of illustration, and uh, it occurred to me that you know, people from the very beginning have always said, I'm so grateful for this, and this is all for God's glory, not to pat ourselves on the back. But people from the very beginning have regularly said, wow, Kurt is a very loving, welcoming community. And my response to that has almost always been, especially if I know they're Christian, thank God for that, and would you pray that the Lord would protect that? Some of you may have heard me say that. The reason why I say that is because, one, I'm a pastor's kid, and I know that unity is fragile. And number two, I know that Jesus is saying it's so important to protect in order for people to come to know Jesus. There's a big, there's a higher aim that God has for us as a church as we come together, as we live in love, as hard as that might be, but try to strive to live in unity. It's to help the world know that he loves them too as he loves us. By my count, in this Explore God series, we have seen five people come into the faith. Can we actually give them a hand? Five people. There, I mean, at least five people. This is just stories and conversations we've been able to have. Five people who've made their, their, a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. It's incredible. In a place like the Bay Area, that by some measurements is less than 2% Gospel-believing Christian. It's like, that's all to God's glory. But here's why I mention that, other than to celebrate it, because here's Celebration Sunday. In every conversation with each of these individuals I've had the opportunity to have, every single one of them, without exception, has pointed to how community here at Kern has played a big part in that. Do you hear that? We are trying to be a church that's not about, hey, this big-name speaker up on the stage, heaven forbid, or wonderful music, as awesome as actually you guys did today. That was really wonderful worship. We're trying to be a community where people can taste and see God's love for them through what is happening here among us in our unity. And by God's grace, that's happening. I had an opportunity this last week to connect with a pastor of a big church in the Atlanta area, TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ, the organization that helped put on Explore God. Uh, connected to be this guy. He's like doing a research project. I don't know what he's doing. But he's trying to figure out how churches in the Bay Area are trying to help people know about Jesus. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah, sure. I'll see if I can be a help. And I was just sharing stories. And he was really encouraged at what God was doing. I mean, he was like floored encouraged. And I was encouraged that he was encouraged. You know, that was the kind of conversation. And at one point, because he was asking questions, trying to understand, so I was just sharing. He was reflecting on, man, it's really incredible the bring culture that you guys have at Current, that God is cultivating through Current, my words. The bring culture. And I was sharing how, for instance, uh, there's been one gal who used the excuse of Explore God to use her social media platform to say, hey, you should think about this Explore God series at my church, and how that led to at least one buddy now of mine thinking about Jesus, even putting his faith in him. I was thinking about uh, recently, I was hearing a conversation with a few people who connected the dots to realize somebody who had just put their faith in the Lord and somebody, actually two people who recently just put their faith in the Lord, connected the dots back to another person who had been invited by another person who randomly came to church and were like, oh man, the community, you got to come ex- experience that. Now, I don't say that to go, oh wow, we have a wonderful community. Who, who cares on that front? But people, 
God is using it to help people into his eternal family. God calls us into unity, not just for the sake of unity. He calls us into unity for the sake of stewarding it. So then the world will know that you, Father, have sent me and loved them too. And so real quickly, because we've got to keep moving, what are ways in which you can invite or bring people into this? We are not interested in just filling up seats. We are interested in helping as many whom the Lord would allow through us come to hear about his words of eternal life through Jesus and taste and see that in community. And that's you here today. One of the things God says in his scriptures, you get to taste and see, are these people really weird or is there something to it? In fact, it's funny, since the earliest of days, we've had even good friends of mine uh, who put their faith in the Lord go, man, I always used to think Christians were weird. You guys seem to be normal. First of all, I'm not sure how normal we are. Stick around, <laughs> stick around a little bit longer. But my point is, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We hope that you would come and, and taste in community, not for the sake of, hey, you can, we could can be friends, and that's fun, we'd love that, but so that you could see the attractiveness of God's love in Jesus through us. We are called to steward unity. We're, supposed to, we're called to fight for it, fragile as it is, live for it in order to help people into the faith. And I, I would just say as a point of application, how can you, perhaps, those of you who are followers of Jesus, look to invite or bring people into that? Are there, are there people in, in, the co, in, in your workspace or in the neighborhood that you could bring to an event? If they're willing to say, come on a Sunday, we're trying to incorporate everything we do on a Sunday for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus. We say every week, current is a community following Jesus together. You're welcome wherever you're at spiritually. So on any given Sunday, or let's say, you know, you float by the idea of church and they're just like, no, no way. Okay, we get that. What about, you know, summer softball or spring pub trivia or something? I don't, you know, I don't know. Christmas is right around the corner. Can we invite people out on Christmas? Easter is, is just around that corner. The point is, the goal is to steward unity, steward community for the sake of the world knowing God's love for them through Jesus. So Jesus desires unity for his followers. He desires that the world would believe in him. And then finally, Jesus desires, we see in his prayer here, for his glory to be made evident. For his glory to be made evident. Look at verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. And then if you look back up at verse 22, I have given them, meaning his followers, the glory that you gave me. Now on the surface, this might seem like a little bit of a self-serving prayer. Wouldn't you say? Jesus, you're praying for your own glory. I mean, is that, is that allowed? Is that? But if you've been here with, this, with us during this series, boy, you don't have to make the case hardly at all. You just read the scriptures. If anything, Jesus was the perfect embodiment of humility and selflessness. So what is Jesus praying here when he, when he says, I want, I want the world to see my glory, uh, to do a little bit of an exercise with you? Um, there's a number of places in the scriptures that talk about God's glory. And there are special places that Scripture often references back to them. Does this make sense? Like, they're so special that these are famous texts that even a lot of the other biblical texts say, you've got you to pay attention to these moments. And I want to look at these in ascending order real quickly. So first of all, we have the very famous account. This is found in Exodus chapter 33, second book of the Bible, where Moses straight up says, how's this for audacity? God, show me your glory. 
They're in the middle of the desert. God had delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They're at Mount Sinai, and they're getting ready to go to the promised land. And Moses says, I'm not going if you're not going, God. I've been leading these guys long enough, short time as it's been. And if you're not in this, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Moses, I love it. He says, you got to show me your glory. Straight up says that. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. But essentially says, I can't show you all of it, because if I show all of it, you'll kill over on the spot and die, okay? So here's what I'll do. He put Moses in the cleft of a mountain. A lot of you know this famous story. Covered him up. God walked by him, and then after he passed, he removed the covering to show Moses his back. And Moses saw the glory of God. And we're told he was so struck by that, that even when he came down from the mountain, he was still emanating from God's glory. That, okay? We're ascending in order. Okay? How, how do you go higher than that? Right? One of the wonderful stories recorded in most of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, is what Bible scholars call the transfiguration of Jesus. In some ways, it's a reenactment of what happened back in Exodus 33 on Mount Sinai that we just talked about. But at one point in his ministry, after Jesus had been spending time with his disciples, teaching among them, serving among them, he took three of them up on the mountainside, and he basically pulled, pulled back the curtain, turned up the gain, and showed them more of his glory. Right? He had been living as a, as a man, and he said, here, I want you to also see that I'm son of God, not just son of man. And in that moment, he shone brightly. And I love the account. I mean, it's one of those places where Peter just puts his foot in his mouth. He's like, ooh, this is cool, God. Uh, We should build some shelters for everybody. It's like, why is that in the text other than Peter just being Peter? But it's just this moment where God's glory shone through in the person of Jesus. And we're told, audibly, the Father in heaven said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Okay. Okay, we're ascending in order. Last but not least, Jesus, moments before actually even our prayer earlier in, in, in this John text, he says, now is the hour for you to glorify me. Talking to his heavenly father, Jesus says, now is the hour for the son of, son of, son of God to be glorified. Which is a fascinating thought because this is after Jesus' transfiguration. What could Jesus possibly be referring to of greater glory, of him to be finally glorified in its fullness that is beyond just on the mount showing his glory? We're tracking with this? And Jesus goes on to say, here's what it is. It's I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the world that people can receive me and be brought back into relationship with him. That's what he's referring to. So get this, talking about God's glory, Jesus is saying the most glorious thing of a glorious God is that he laid down his life that you and I would have life. The most glorious thing about a glorious God is that he came into this world to live the life we ought to live and die in our place so that we can be brought back into relationship with him. And much of what we're celebrating today in the baptisms is just that. Baptism is a sign and seal of what God has already done in our hearts when we receive him. It's a wonderful picture of it, right? We go under the water, dying to sins, washed clean, clean, and then coming back to life, new life in Jesus. We're celebrating who God is and what he's done for us most gloriously on the cross when he emptied himself of, of all his glory in order to die for us in our stead. But what's crazy, if that, if that weren't enough, right, is that in this prayer, he says, I've given them, I've given my followers my glory. How does that sit with you, brothers and sisters in Christ? You want to steward God's glory? It's like, man, that's a high calling, wouldn't you say? 
But that's what Jesus desires in you and me. He wants wants his glory to be made evident in you and me. How does that look? It, it, It looks like us laying down our lives for the sake of others having life. And I thought, no, there, there's perhaps no greater way to not only segue to baptisms, but also celebrate one of the precious stories of one of the baptizees by sharing a little glimpse into what it looks like for us to reflect God's glory. I had the privilege of teaching on one of my weeks off from the pulpit. One Thursday night, I got to go in with the kids to, to kind of fill in and teach, and I loved it. But there was uh, Joshua Smith along with the other kids, and uh, if you've ever taught in kids, you know you got to start with games. You know you got to get the energy out. We had candy as as prizes for learning the the memory verse that night, but I was not going to give that until afterwards. You know what I mean? So we're playing this game. We're having fun. I'm building rapport because I'm not in there every week. I'm like, you know, we're having fun, and it's it's a blast, okay? But little, I say little Joshua. For being a ten year old, he's a big little Joshua. He comes up to me. He's like, he's like, Pastor David, Pastor David, when can we talk about the Bible? When's the Bible lesson? I'm like, man, I love you. <laughs> like, you can't make a pastor happier than that. But, yeah, we're going to get to it. And he comes back. He's like, all right, now? Can we, get to the, can we do the Bible lesson now? And, and as he was uh, sharing his answers along with these other kids, I'm like, these guys are just 10? Like, this is incredible. Not only their desire to understand God's word, but them reflecting on it, what it meant for themselves. So I was, I was sharing this with uh, his dad, uh, Brent. I don't know if it was the next week or something like that. And uh, Brent shared just the most encouraging story. I was so glad. I want to I share it with you. I asked their, asked their, guy, their, their permission. But he was sharing how uh, a few weeks, uh, I, I don't know the time, time frame on this, but a while back, uh, Zachary, Joshua's little brother, got to experience something that Joshua didn't get to. I, I don't know all the details, but Melissa, mom, and Zachary, younger brother, got to publish something like in a magazine or something like that. And Joshua's just the, the kindest, tender-most-hearted kid, Okay. But Melissa could tell that even though Joshua said to Zachary, wow, I'm excited for you, that's wonderful, something was, you know, he was thinking about certain things. And actually also to the tune of when he got home, when they all got home, Joshua went up to his room and just, you know, was there for a little while. And after a little while, Joshua came out from his room and again went up to Zachary and said, hey, I'm just really excited for you, I'm really glad for you. And uh, Melissa caught him later and said, you know, checked in with him, like, how are you processing this? Uh, Joshua, and Joshua said, yeah, I'm really glad, I'm really, really thankful for Zachary's accomplishment, but I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little sad about it, too. He got to experience something that I didn't get to experience, so when I got home, what I did was I, I went immediately up into my room, and I got my Bible, and I started reading, and I'm like, if that's not God's glory being made evident through a child, I don't know what is, because think about how many of us adults could learn from that. You know what I'm saying? How many adults see an accomplishment in someone else or experience someone else doing something wonderful? And what is our gut reaction? Probably not to say something kind, let alone run to God's word to figure out comfort and understanding how we should respond in a loving way, right? And then here, 10-year-old is going, you know, I want to go, I want to I celebrate my brother as hard as this is. I want to I want to to do that, and I also want to figure out how God would call me to in the midst of that. I'm just like, that is God's glory being made evident through a 10-year-old, and we would do well as adults to learn from it. I'm also excited to celebrate the baptisms. Wonderful, wonderful thing. God, the, 
The most glorious thing about a glorious God is that he laid down his life so that you and I can have life. And we get to live out and make that glory evident when we lay down our lives for the sake of others having life in him. That's our call. This whole series we've been talking about, what, what do we have of God? What do we ask of God? What, what, what are our desires to understand of him? But today we flip the script and we go, what does God ask of us? What is his desire? What is his heart for us? And here is one text where Jesus opens up his soul in prayer and says, I ask for these things. I ask that, Father, you would help all my followers down the ages be united, that they would live in unity. Guys, we've got to fight for unity. And you know where that fight happens the most? In our own hearts. Got to fight for unity. It's so fragile. It's what Jesus prayed for in the most precious of moments. When he was heading to the cross, Jesus desires unity among his followers so that the world would know God's love for them through us. He wants the world. We're called to steward this unity, bring people into it, not for the sake of, hey, we want to build this church up and have a lot of fun, as cool as that is. It's to be a city on a hill, light of the world, God's light in the world. And most of all, we want to point people to Jesus in his glory, which is most, made most evident in what he did for us on the cross. That's what this is all about. That's what our church is all about. You know, I love Explore God because it just allowed us to put our finger on what we're trying to be about every Sunday. But this is what we'd ask of you in community. What's your part in this? You know, as I've been going through this, a little bit more quickly, but what might the Lord through his spirit be calling you to? What, what might, might, might there be a conversation you need to have later? A text you could send out? It might not even be related to something very specific, but we are called to fight for, pray for unity so that the world would know that God loves them all for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, the heart of your son. I mean, he's going to the cross to take on our eternal punishment and all that that entailed And he was thinking about us being united, us getting along, us extending love and grace and being patient and selfless and and through that, helping those who don't yet know you come to know that they can receive you as well. In fact, I want to pray for those here today. Maybe they've never received you, that they can receive you today. The gospel is literally good news, not good advice. It's something we receive So if there's anybody here today, you've never received Christ, that's the invitation, open invitation to you today. You can receive Christ and what he's done for you, forgiveness of sins, eternal life and relationship with him. Fathers, we now move to baptisms. Oh, what a joy. Would your glory be made evident through it? Not because of who we are, not because of what we bring to the table, but precisely because of who you are and what you've accomplished for us. What a gift. And thank you, as a church family, we get to celebrate this in community. What a gift. Bless each of these individuals. I pray that today would be a spiritual marker for each of them. They would look back with fondness of heart, cherished memories, and strengthening of of spirit and mind to follow you in this life. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.